Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So now here we go. Uh, Genesis 28, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. Father, we thank you that you so loved us that you wrote a word for us and you sent it to us from heaven and we've got it now in front of us. And so, Lord, you not only did that, but then you sent us your Holy Spirit. You poured out your Spirit to us. You made known your words to us. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 28.1. Isaac called Jacob, blessed him, charged him, said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padanaram, to the house of Bethuel, thy mother's brother. Take thee a wife from thence of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. God Almighty bless thee, make thee fruitful, multiply thee. Thou mayest be a multitude, or a kehalat, of people, and give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee and to thy seed with thee, that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger, which God gave unto Abraham." And Isaac sent away Jacob and went to Padanaram unto Laban, son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. When Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padanaram to take him a wife from thence, and that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge, saying, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. And Jacob obeyed his father and his mother and, and gone down to Padanaram. Esau, seeing that the daughters of Canaan pleased not Isaac his father, then when he saw unto Ishmael and took unto the wives which he had, Mehalot, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebajoth, to be his wife. Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took the stones of that place and put them in his pillows for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. Now, in our last study, we saw how blind Isaac's inner eyes had been opened now, and he saw that he needed to call down the blessing of Abraham on Jacob, not on Esau, and he did that in verse 3 when he said, God Almighty bless thee, make thee fruitful, multiply, that thou mayest be a multitude of people. And in that verse, as we saw, Isaac called for Jacob to become a multitude of people, or a keolot, or of people. And we saw how that word, keolot, is the same word as church, as ecclesia in the New Testament. So the question we considered in our last study is that exactly how long was that after that prophecy was it fulfilled that the church was born? And last week, we saw from the book of Acts that the first mention of the church was at Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is where the church was called in Acts 7.38, where it says, this is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in Mount Sinai. 
with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us. So the first mention of the church was at Mount Sinai at the beginning of the law. And after the class, Tim pointed out to me that the day that the law was given was exactly 50 days after the Passover. It was on the day of Pentecost. It was on the the day of the first Pentecost. So 50 days after the day of the first Pentecost, on the very first Pentecost, the church was born according to Acts 7.38. So the church was born on the day of Pentecost, but not the 1540th day of the Pentecost where the apostles, church was born on the first Pentecost at Mount Sinai. Now, we come now to verse 5, which starts for us Jacob's journey. It just says there, and Isaac sent away Jacob, and he went to Padanaram Laban, son of Bethuel, Syrian brother of Rebekah, who is identified as Jacob's and Esau's mother. So those first words uh, we want to really think about this morning, when it says, and Isaac sent away Jacob. Now what we want to consider is what did it look like? when Isaac sent away Jacob. We really gotta get this in our minds here. This is very important. See, what did Jacob leave with when he left home? Well, actually, Jacob told God, when he was talking to God in Genesis 32, what he left with at this time when he left home. And he said in Genesis 32.10, I'm not worthy of least of all thy mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. And he says, for with my staff, I passed over this Jordan and now am become these two bands. See, see, all Jacob had, what he talked about when he left home, he talked about is his staff. See, Jacob had been blessed by his father in Genesis 28, 28, where it says there, and God give thee the dew of heaven, the fatness of the earth, and plenty of corn and wine. But here in the verse here, he doesn't look like this. He looks pretty poor. Jacob, as he's running away from, as he's fleeing from home with just a staff in his hands, we can imagine Jacob sitting down and thinking to himself in this night here, he's saying, boy, my father just blessed me with plenty of corn and wine, but I don't look like that right now. I look like I'm running away from home with, without even a packed lunch, <laughs> with just a staff in my hand. I mean, he's off to get a wife, and he thinks, Boy, you know, here I am, I'm off to go get a wife. This kind of looks a lot different from when my father got a wife. And we can imagine Jacob saying, he says, boy, when they went to the Syria last time to get my father's wife, they had servants, they had camels, they had jewels, they had great riches, but I'm just all alone and I'm on foot and I don't have any camels and I'm in fear because I really don't know if I'm gonna return alive or not. And Jacob's father had just blessed him and said, let people serve thee in Genesis 27, 29. Let people serve thee and nations bow down to thee. But as Jacob left in verse five here, we can see him thinking to himself, boy, my, my, my father blessed me with having dominion over people, plenty of servants waiting on me hand and foot, everything I need. I don't have anyone to serve me and I won't have any dominion over anyone. As a matter of fact, all I've got to bargain with to get this wife is my own labor. And so I'm going to work in hard labor as a servant to my uncle Laban, which is not going to be so good for him. But anyway, so it goes with family. So as we see with Jacob, with all those rich blessings in the future, nothing in the present, we look at that, we say, that's us. 
<laughs> so we see ourselves, you say, we, we got a lot of trouble in our life right now. It's exactly what the Lord said is going to happen to us. It says in 2 Timothy 3.12, he says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And in 1 Peter 4.12, it says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. And then the Lord Jesus said in John 16.33, These things I have spoken unto you that you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So the condition of Jacob in verse 5, when it says, and Isaac sent away Jacob, was a terrible time in Jacob's life, but it was a most valuable time in Jacob's life because he had the privilege, because of what happened to him, to learn what it means to be helpless and discover God is his only help. He had the privilege of being stripped from everything and find God as the provider of everything. And there's a whole picture packed away in these words in verse 5 when it says, and Isaac sent away Jacob. And when Jacob left home in verse 5, it was not with a big send-off party. You know, not goodbye, have a good, you know, we'll look forward to seeing you. No, it wasn't any of that. I mean, how Jacob left home in verse 5 is described for us in Hosea 12, 12, when it says, and Jacob fled into the country of Syria, and Israel served for a wife, and for a wife, he kept sheep. Can't imagine anything worse than that. I'd rather keep goats than sheep. I have both goats and sheep. I hate sheep. I don't say I love goats, but anyway, I do hate sheep. So that description in Hosea 12, 12 really paints the picture of destitution and desperation. You know, Hosea 12, 12, when it says he fled, that's how he left home. And he ran out of the house fleeing for his life. And it says in, in Hosea 12, 12, it says that Jacob went into the country of Syria. You know, that was not a good place for a Jewish boy to be then. It's not a good place for a Jewish boy to be today. Yeah. And then it says in Hosea 12, 12, like I said, he served for a wife. And he didn't have servants waiting on him, but he's now the servant. And then, like you said, he kept sheep. And, you know, Jacob, was the, he, he would have liked to have been in the kitchen. He liked the kitchen. You know, he didn't want to keep sheep. It's a dirty job to keep sheep. You know, anyway, so the only reason that Jacob was not destroyed during that time is the same reason that Israel was not destroyed in Egypt. And that's why the next verse in Hosea 12, 13 explains. It says in Hosea 12, 13, and by a prophet, the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt, and by a prophet was he preserved. And that one word explains why Jacob was not destroyed at this time of vulnerability, and that's the word preserved. And it was because of God's preserving him. Jacob was preserved by God when he was on the run, on the lamb from his home. He was preserved by God. Israel was preserved by God when it was in Egypt. And we are preserved by God in our lives. And I relate to verse five when it says, and Isaac sent away Jacob. You know, I had a very poor upbringing. I grew up in Beverly Hills and Westwood, and I lived in my father's house in the slum of Bel Air. 
and, and I was sent to boarding school in Switzerland. I mean, I never knew what it was like to not have money. Money was a right of life for me. You know, my letters home from Switzerland, they always finished with one phrase, send money. <laughs> and that's the way it was. That's all it was. That's all I knew, you know, and my friends were pretty much like that too. But when I was 19, I married Cheryl. And because she was not Jewish, I was cut off with just $100 in my pocket. You know, I had a verse five in my life at that time. And, and instead of reading, and Isaac sent away Jacob, it read, and Eddie sent away Tommy. <laughs> Only I didn't have a brother that was out to kill me. I had a father that was out to kill me. And with just $100 in Cincinnati, in the dead of winter, you know, I was, I was deeply anxious and fearful like Jacob, I was helpless. I was stripped to nothing. I we had to go down to Kentucky, and for food, we bought turkey tails for 25 cents a pound, you know. Anyway, I don't like turkey tails. But, but that was the best time of my life because that was my desperation that I found God as my helper and provider. I, I really don't know if I really would have searched for God at home in Bel Air, you know, with plenty of money. You know, but, but when I had this verse 5, and Eddie sent away Tommy in the cold of winter in Cincinnati, I remember I had to carry my, the battery of my car, because it was so cold, the battery would freeze, into our apartment there on River Road, up the hill of a parking lot, and I remember it was so cold, you know, the black ice, and falling and sliding to the bottom of that parking lot, clutching onto the car battery. That was pathetic. <laughs> and at that River Road apartment there, gunshots and screams from wives being beaten were just normal. And I had no money to get out of there. And at that time, I thought, this is the worst time in my life. But now I see it was the best time of my life. Because it was in that time when I searched for God and I found the Lord Jesus Christ as God, my God and Savior. And at that time, Jacob thought this is the worst time in his life. But later, he's going to look back on it. He's going to say, it's the best time of my life because it was in that time that Jacob, during this long period of time, Jacob's going to search for God. And finally, in chapter 32, he's going to find Jehovah Jesus as his God and Savior. So what we have in these words here in verse 5, and Isaac sent away Jacob, it's the beginning of a period of time in Jacob's life, a valuable period in Jacob's life. It's the beginning of the time of trouble in Jacob's life. What we have in verse 5, when it says, and Isaac sent away Jacob, is the start of Jacob's trouble, which starts here in this verse 5 and goes all the way through until Genesis 32, 28, where it says, and God says, and he said, thy name shall no more be called uh, Jacob, but Israel, for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. See, when his name was changed from Jacob to Israel, he became a prince with God. And Jacob's trouble ended then. But Jacob's trouble all starts here in verse 5. That's very important to see about verse 5. This is the start of Jacob's trouble. So what we have as we leave verse 5, I want to just note one thing, and that's the end of verse 5 when it describes Rebekah as Jacob's and Esau's mother. Even though Esau was the firstborn, now for the first time we see Jacob is put in front of Esau. Now, in the next four verses, we have a short little history about Esau, and then he's going to fade off the pages of Scripture. And these verses 
6 to 9, when you look at it, you say, you know, these seem to be out of place. I mean, why were these verses here? I mean, you know, we started off, we're starting off a history in Jacob with Jacob in verse 5, and he's being sent away from home. And then if you look at verse 10, it's a pickup of that history of leaving home. But right there in the middle, we got this short little history about Esau. And on the surface, this is out of place. Why is this here? This should have been before verse 5 or some other place. But it's not out of place. It's not out of place if you remember that verse 5 is the start of the history of Jacob's trouble. And this history about Esau is part of Jacob's trouble. You know, because what Esau is doing in verses 6 through 9 is directed against Jacob. It's part of Jacob's trouble. See, we first read in verse 6 there, Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob. Now, that's not referring to the blessing that happened in chapter 27 when Isaac gave Jacob that blessing when Isaac thought that Jacob was Esau. It's very confusing. But anyway, in chapter 27, Isaac did not consciously bless Jacob. He got the blessing by fraud. But when it says in verse 6 that Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob, that's referring to verse 1 of this chapter, and Isaac called Jacob and blessed him. It's now evident for all to see Isaac was consciously blessing Jacob. So when we read verse 6, and Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob, what happened here is that activated in Esau this plan, this strategy. It put Esau into action, an action that was against Jacob and part of Jacob's trouble. So verse 6, we can see Esau sitting down asking the question, hmm, now why did Isaac bless Jacob and not bless me? See, he's thinking about it. And what is it that I've done that Jacob did not do that made Isaac bless Jacob instead of me. See? And he got his clue in verse 6. It says, and he, when Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him to wait to Padanaram to take him a wife from thence, and that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge saying, thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. And he goes, ah, it's those daughters of Canaan. I see. When Isaac blessed Jacob... He charged him to not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. He says, I see the whole problem. The whole problem is just because I married the wrong woman. Women, women, a couple of them. One wasn't enough for him. Women. So from verse 7, it says that Esau saw that Jacob has obeyed his father and his mother and when it came to his love life. And that reminds me of the time, I think I told, I told you this, when we were all having a Thanksgiving meal, all the family was around the table, and David wasn't married, and David announces to everyone that he would not marry anyone that his parents did not approve of. I thought, well, that's more than me. <laughs> anyway, so, and that was what Esau saw in verse 7. And Jacob obeyed his father and his mother. It was gone to Padanaram. It's interesting in verse 7 that it says in verse 6, it says his father charged him to go to Panama and get a wife. But in verse 7, it says that Jacob obeyed his father and his mother, which shows that Esau saw that he had grieved both his mother and his father, and both his mother and his father wanted to make sure that Jacob didn't do the same mistake as Esau. 
So what we read in verse 8 is amazing when it says, and Esau seeing that the daughters of Canaan please not Isaac his father. When you read that, you say, what? You say, is this the first time you saw that Esau? What is this Esau? Was this the first time that you saw that the daughters of Canaan please not Isaac your father? You know, we read that, we say, hello, Esau, (laughs) are you for real? Is this the first time you realized that your wives had not pleased Isaac? I mean, what's wrong with you? Yeah. Why is this the first time that you've just seen that your wives didn't please your father? Where have you been, Esau? You know why this was the first time that it just dawned that Esau realizes, he sees that his wives didn't please his father? It's because of a truth that we sing in the hymn at Calvary. See, that hymn, years I spent in vanity and pride, knowing not my Lord was crucified, caring not it was for me he died. See, the hymn explains to us why Esau just saw that his wives didn't please his father in verse six. I mean, how could a person spend years in vanity and pride and not know that his Lord was crucified? I mean, how could a person not know that the person who was crucified 2,000 years ago was his Lord? And he tells us, the hymn writer tells us how he didn't know that his Lord was crucified when he says, caring not, it was for me he died. He didn't know because he didn't care. And he didn't know because he didn't care to know. And you know why Esau never knew that his wives didn't please Isaac in verse six? I mean, Esau didn't know that his wives did not please Isaac because he didn't care. And Esau didn't know that his wives didn't please Isaac because he didn't care to know whether or not his wives pleased Isaac or not. He didn't care. And you know why people today do not know that they are sinning against God when they engage in the activities of pornography and fornication and homosexuality? Because they're like Esau in that they don't know those activities are sin because they don't care. And because they're like Esau in that they don't know that those activities are sin because they don't care to know if they're sin or not. And Esau refused to see or care to see the earlier sorrow that is married to these daughters of the Canaanite women causes parents when it says in Genesis 26, 34 to 35, and Esau was 40 years old when he took to wife Judith, the daughter of Berea the Hittite, and Bashemeth, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, which were a grief of mind unto Isaac and to Rebekah. So we really see the darkness that Esau was in as he's thinking to himself, hmm, there's only one reason why Isaac didn't bless me, because I married those Canaanite women. Mm. See, he's in darkness. Esau's in darkness to not see, to say, there's nothing wrong with me. What's God got to do with it? There's nothing wrong with me with me despising God's birthright in my heart. See, in his darkness, he thinks the only problem is that he married these Canaanite, remarried the wrong women. He thinks that's the only problem. And the lost today, they think that, well, God is not happy with me because I haven't gone to church. I just need to go to church. Or I haven't given some money to charity. I just need to give some money to charity. Or I haven't done this, or I haven't done that. And they have no concept that they're rotten through and through and through and through. And that they desperately need a Savior to save them from their own sinful heart. A 
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Or you can email Tom Cantor at tomcantor, that's T-O-M-C-A-N-T-O-R, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800 247 3051 Thanks for listening to Friendship with God with Tom Cantor. You're invited to Christmas Under the Stars at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, Saturday, December 12th from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. Activities for the entire family, including a live nativity, caroling candlelit museum tours, ornament making, cookie decorating, star exploration, and a special Star of Bethlehem message by guest Paul Taylor. Join us for this family-free Christmas event at the Creation Museum, 619-599-1104 or creationsd.org. Looking for an exciting career in the medical field or biotech industry? Join Scanabody's Biologics, founded by a Christian businessman, Tom Cantor. It's a premier company dedicated to advancing patient care and serving the community of San Diego. Scanabody's has global operations and over 700 employees and growing. And if you have a heart for people and a desire to join a leading biotech company, call us 619-258-9300, 619-258-9300, scanabodies.com, that's scanabodies.com. 